Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Mason. Amen. Legacy of love. You may be seated this morning. Lieutenant Kerry H. Cash recalls a story when he was just 10 years old. He said, I had the opportunity, along with about 200 other boys, to fly to Malaga, Spain, meet the aircraft carrier, the U.S. Saratoga, on which our fathers were stationed. The ship had been deployed for almost six months and was enjoying its last port call before making the 12-day voyage across the Atlantic Ocean to the States. He says, as I waited to pull myself up the ladder from a small boat onto the stairwell of the giant carrier, he said, my eyes scanned to and fro across the crowd of men decked out in their uniforms, gathered along the rails. He said, I watched as one by one the boys in front of me climbed the ladder and found their fathers. He says, there were firm handshakes, pats on the backs, and even some guarded hugs. I recall he was 10 years old. But when I found dad, he scooped me up as tight as he could and kissed me right on the lips for all to see. He said, I couldn't have pried myself from his grasp if I wanted to. There he was, the commanding officer of a naval fighter squadron, respected by all, yet he was not the least bit afraid to show his emotion and his love for his son. He said, it never mattered to him what others thought. The only thing that mattered was that my sister and I knew how much he loved us. Just something about the legacy of a love that a father can leave, amen, to his children. If our ushers will come this morning, we're going to take up our offering Amen. We're thankful for those of you that this is your first service being with us since we've opened back up since quarantine. This is the first Sunday morning service that we have had since quarantine. So it's probably been, oh no, 12 weeks or so since we've had a Sunday morning service. And so I hope that you have uh, familiarized yourself with some of our guidelines. But nonetheless, uh, our ushers are standing here. Everybody in the building will march to give whether you have to give or not. All right. Our ushers will extend those uh, offering pans or bags at arm's distance. You will exit from your left side of your pew and enter back in on your right. We go a, low, a row at a time each side. When that row gets back, the next row is available to go. And this provides a little bit of social distancing for us. You don't have anything to give? Man, just throw your hand down in your bag, that bag as you did and just thank God. And he'll provide in the future, amen, in order for you to do so. We're going to pray today over this offering, amen. And we're going to pray, amen, the God's richest blessings upon your life. Father, I come to you this morning. We are so thankful today. God, an opportunity to be in your house on Father's Day, an opportunity to worship, an opportunity to give. It is a good day. I pray, oh Lord, today bless your people, Lord, in this endeavor and matter. God, those that may have not, Lord, this morning to give, I pray, oh Lord, that you would enrich their lives, God, where they could, Lord Jesus, in the future, and we'll give you the glory and the praise for it. Nonetheless, in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you this morning as you give. One row at a time. Amen. God bless you today.
just being here again it feels so good feeling what i feel again there's just nothing i like better than god's children getting together feels so good just being here again amen amen just look to your right or left and just look at somebody I'm not going to ask you to shake hands, but you can just look at them. So that's the best I can do. Amen. Acknowledge them this morning. Amen. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Good to see some of you. Uh, Brendan, Mike Trout, good to see you this morning. Heath and Kristen in, so good to see you. Amen. Today, first time. And uh, Phil, back there, you're being hid by Heath, but I know you're back there. Amen. Good to see you this morning. The first time being back. In church, appreciate each and every one of you. Glad to have our family with us today of Anthony and Judy and Dell. All right, and the family that's in. Amen. We got a baby dedication to do before this day is over uh, this morning. I was looking, uh, Brother Andrew, and my stuff, and I said, Well, I wonder what the last kid was I, I dedicated, and it was a, a McBroom kid. And then I looked back and thought, Well, I wonder what the last one was before that. And it was, no, it wasn't, but. And so I already know the impossibility of any more, so I finally just scratched it off the list that this is, this is the first and, and final. I think I, I looked up last night because I always like to include uh, birth weight and things like that and time, and I, was, I, I always search Facebook because people usually do that. And so I found it, and I seen where you had all those things listed, and kind of the last phrase at all of that was is this is the final piece to the McBroom family puzzle. And so uh, that, that you just know when you know. You know, and so but we're going to do that here just a little bit later. I'm going to turn this morning to the book of Ephesians, chapter number six, the book of Ephesians, chapter number six today. Hallelujah. Amen. Brother Zach McGee was uh, getting here this morning to help out. and He didn't have his key for the church. Of course, we keep the doors locked until we open them. So he's talking about needing in. I told him whenever he got in and said, now we know. That your wife is the key to you being in the church. Amen. She's gone this weekend with her family up north, but now we know. Amen. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. I just have this one verse, but I'm going to just pull out of this verse. All right? Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 4, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. That's going to be an important phrase for us today. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Paul has been writing in Ephesians. He's wrote about the church. He's wrote about marriages. He's wrote about parents and children in obedience but then he kind of narrows the focus of all of that from church to, to marriages from just parents and kids and he narrows all the focus down to a laser focus and he says and ye fathers but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord this morning I'm going to minister this subject and uh, mothers I'm so sorry we had Mother's Day just by virtue online there's nothing that any of us could do I hope no one's feeling offended this morning that we're here on Father's Day and feels slighted but if so there's an X up here for you X marks the spot uh, but I want to talk to you today about this the Father's power the Father's power hallelujah can we one more time go to the Lord ask for his help in the next few moments Father I love you today God, I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to help me now. God, anoint my mind, anoint my lips. Your word is already anointed, but let your word do its work in our lives and the lives of every individual today. God, but perhaps, Lord Jesus, specifically, Lord, in the lives of us fathers this morning, God, you're able to help us, God, to be, Lord, God, positionally, Lord, if you've put us in the family as you have called us to be. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. 
Amen and amen in the church. Say amen. You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of the Lord. The Father's power. In the book of Ephesians, while the Apostle Paul gives an overview of the church and much of what he is speaking about, of course, concerns the church in the book of Ephesians, particularly the church at Ephesus. But now, in chapter number 6, the Apostle Paul starts to get on the component level, if we might call it that, of the church's success, of the church's function. On a component level, he talks to us even in Ephesians 5 and 4. He talks to us about the relationships of marriages and the child-parent relationships. He even gets to a place he talks to us about the servant-master, what we might even call in the, the business world, if you want to call it, even employee-employer type of relationship because all of these have bearing upon the success of the church in many regards. Uh, we were called as the church in Ephesians 4, according to the Apostle Paul, to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. However, Paul understood that uh, at the building block at even the level of parents and children, husbands and wives, and even the roles of father, that that peace would be able to be kept and that unity would be able to be made sound and whole. Keeping the unity of the spirit, according to Paul, was something not just collectively done by the church, but it was done on an individual level. And it varied with each relationship, uh, whether it be a marriage or whether it be parent and child or even if it would be fathers. If there was going to be any type of peace or unity within the church, then there would have to be a certain level of peace and unity in the home, among the members of the home, and even in the society overall. The Apostle Paul shares with us three recommendations in the book of Ephesians that he offered to us involving relationships of how we might be successful in keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The first recommendation that the, the Apostle Paul gave to each and every individual of the church, home, and family was this. He says, first and foremost, he says, you must be filled with the Spirit. He says you got to be filled with the Spirit. And then he has language over and all in each of these relationships. And in each relationship, you got to learn to submit to each other. And lastly, he ends the book of Ephesians talking to us about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. His third recommendation was this. You got to learn to fight powers and not people in your relationship. Amen. And so he was telling us how to keep this unity. He was telling us how to keep this peace. And so in Ephesians 5 and verse number 18, he says those words, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. But his admonition is, be, but be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul in that verse is not necessarily addressing a social matter when he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. But in many regards, he is addressing a theological matter and he sets it up for us in contrast because during this era of the Greeks and the Romans and their culture, much of their religions involved drunkenness just as much as they involved immorality as a part of their religious services and the religious practices. They believed in the Greek and the Roman culture that a person in a state of drunkenness could enter a realm of unparalleled communication with their false gods. They believed that through their drunkenness they could enter into a realm of bliss and exhilaration with the gods. And so Paul is admonishing them again, not so much as a 
social matter, but a theological matter. He says the drunk is controlled by the substance that he has been consuming. I don't want you to be controlled by that. He says, but I want you to be controlled and filled by the Spirit. Amen. He says, not all risks are, are resolved. Amen with this. He says, but you are in a better position and you have better odds and things are more favorable towards you in your marriage, in your relationship between your parents and your children, in your church and in society if people in these positions will be filled with the Spirit. Can someone say amen? I'm thankful for God's Spirit today, aren't you? It has the power of bringing some things together. It can cause a drunk that sat on the stool to sit on a church bench and go to church with his family. There's power just in the mode of being filled with the Spirit in the presence of the Almighty God. It can take the one that used to exchange money and the riches of his career for drugs and have him given tithing and offering in the church all because he's been Spirit-filled with the power of God's Spirit. Amen. Paul starts chapter 6 addressing the parent-child relationship, but then he gets in a little closer. He narrows his circle, so to speak, and his focus, and he hones in on fathers. And he says, and ye fathers, and with good reason, the apostle Paul addresses the fathers, because the fathers throughout the history of biblical record were the priests of their homes before there was even ever a priest that walked on the dusty floor of the tabernacle. Although we read in Scripture the book of Job that comes right before Psalms, the book of Job refers to creation that was in Genesis. The book of Job refers to Adam. That's in Genesis. Job refers to the flood. That's in Genesis. He lived a long, long time ago, back in the day of Genesis. Even all of the sacrifices that are referred to in the book of Job are always offered by the father as the head of the house and never by a priest because most scholars believe, and I join with them, that Job was more than likely written during an earlier period than what it is set in the scripture before there was a priest of the Jewish family of Levi to do any work in the tabernacle. There was Job and his family and it was his responsibility as a father to be the priest of his home. There was no priest of a role or function like that yet. He was to be the priest of his home and so if his family was going to worship it was because Job said we're going to worship. If his family was going to sacrifice it was going to be because Job said we're going to sacrifice he was the man of his house he was the shepherd of his internal flock he was the priest of his home and as a blameless man the Bible says amen complete with integrity he had the responsibility of leading his own family but not only does Paul focus on the head of the household because of his priestly function in his home but because of the power and the authority that the father had over his wife and his children during this culture and this society. Walk with me here just for a moment. In the ancient world where the Roman law prevailed during the times of the New Testament, the family was based on what was called the patria potestas, which was basically this, the father's power. It was based upon the father's power. Under Roman law, a father had absolute power over his children as long as he and they lived. He could take the law into his own hands as issuing the father's power, and he could punish his children. He could inflict the death penalty upon his own children. As long as he lived, even if he was 60 years old and his children were 40, he could do this. There was no age limit on the patria potestas, the father's power. The father had the right and power over all his children, even the power of life 
in death. This law still operated during the time in which Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus. So a Roman father still during the writings of Ephesians chapter number 6 could still sell his child as a slave and even have them killed. The sickly and the deformed according to the father's power was normally killed. Under this law, that child could not possess anything, anything that may have been willed to that son or that daughter and was given to him was in reality property of his father. It was all about the father's power. Amen. And since marriage during this time was really on the rocks in the Greek and the Roman society. Amen. Because there was a lot of fornication that was going on. That diluted the whole concept of marriage. And it brought about this. Children were not a blessing. They were a misfortune. And so when a baby was born into a Roman family, they would bring that child, Brother Mason, and they would lay it in between the feet of that father. And that father would look down upon that child. And in that moment, if he picked the child up, that meant he was accepting it and going to take it home. But if he turned around and walked away and did not pick it up, that meant that the child was rejected and that it could be sold, given away, or even died by exposure. They say in ancient times, unwanted children were thrown on dump piles and thrown in the streets and left in the Roman form for whosoever will to come by and pick them up to raise them as slaves and even prostitutes and brothel houses. That was all due to the Father's power. Someone say amen. This, this patria postas, potestas, the father's power of the Roman and the Greek societies. Amen. You got to understand what Paul is dealing with here in the book of Ephesians. He's speaking to the Ephesian church, yes, but many of these church members at one time had been a Greek. Many of these church members at one time had been a Roman. In other words, they were well aware, familiar with, and maybe even had exercised such a father's power in their own life, culture, and family. But Paul is trying to relay unto them, amen, that listen, I know that was your cultural dynamic. I know that's the way that things used to be and the way that they were. He says, but I'm trying to reform your way of thinking. I'm trying to reform the way that you used to approach fatherhood. Amen. He says, and I want to show you what the true and genuine father's power looks like because you guys no longer should walk as other Gentiles walk. You should not act like the Romans act or the Greeks act. He says, you've been filled with the spirit. And he says, you've got to hire, if you will, command over your life, amen, of how you need to respond as a father. Paul said, fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath. Now that, that's a good that's a good phrase. That's a good verse. We could spend some time and preach another sermon on that, but that's not my focus today. That's a good one, though. That's a good one. Do not provoke. Amen. I'm not stepping away from that because I, you know, don't want to tread those waters or anything like that. But he said, do not provoke your children to wrath. That was needful for this group, absolutely, of fathers that came. But he's not, I'm not going to delve into the do not this morning. I want to go on to what Paul said after that. He kind of has the negative command, do not, and then he has the positive command. This is what you should do. And Paul goes on and says, fathers, don't do that as far as provoking your children to anger, but bring them, speaking of your children, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We got this baptismal and it causes humidity up here. Hallelujah. Many of the Greek dictionaries that I looked at, I consulted with them. And still yet many, and even most, give the definition of the Greek words here, bring them up as this. This is very deep and profound. It, it, it defines them as bring them up. <laughs> bring them up. Let me put it in terms like this. Pat, if you are coming to my house, Let's pretend we're, just pretend we're not in quarantine, all right. <laughs> if you are coming to my house 
and I tell you to bring cookies and milk. It's your responsibility then to get cookies and milk to my house. And if you're bringing them, then they're coming along with you. In other words, if I say it like this, you cannot bring them to where you're not going yourself. Let's illustrate today. And dear, will you will you bring Trevor up here? We don't have to worry about social distancing. We're in family. Will you bring Trevor up here? That wasn't that is such a nice illustration. Now go sit back down, both of you. Now, dear, would you bring Trevor up here without you coming? It's an impossibility. She could point to him and say, go up there. But that's not bringing him. That's sending him. The only way you can bring them up is that you got to go first. You got to go first. Paul said, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bringing up in God's word here is a very inflexible phrase. Bringing up demands our presence, men. Bringing up is not sending them. Bringing up is not delegating to them. Bringing them up means they will be with you and you will be with them. Bringing them up means you got to go first. That's why they are able able to go because you win. The apostle Paul was trying to relate to these guys. That's the father's power. It's not you standing there saying dead or alive, permissible, unpermissible. You can have that in your family as property, but you cannot. He said, no, the father's love is this. The father's power is this. The ability to lead and go before and chart a path. Get the stones out of the way so those that are coming along with you that's the Father's power. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. He wanted them to know that the Father's power in the church, the Father's power for those that have been filled with the Spirit, amen, was different than what was in their culture, different than what they had been born into, different than what they had practiced before they were born again, amen, become a part, amen, an attendee, if you will, of the church. It wasn't dictating to the children. It wasn't saying all these other things. It were leading their kids. It was bringing them along or bringing them up. It meant that father was going to go first and he brought up his children along on the journey and that he could bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because he had a God experience already himself. Listen to me. Listen to me. There has been in, in years of my life gone past, Bishop, that I've experienced in the churches that we were growing up to and even this own church. It's not enough to put them on the church bus and send them to the church. It's not enough just to direct them there or point in the proper direction. There's a lot of people that's justifying their fatherhood because I told my kids to go to church or I pointed them in the direction. I made sure they got on the bus. No, 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 no. Sir, the Father's power in the church is that you must lead. You must bring them up. You must go first. You must example it. You must model it. You. Hey man. You must bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Nurture means this. It has a lot to do with discipline. But nurture means training that primarily takes place by actions. Whereas admonition means training that primarily takes place by words. But a father is to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition. If I can put it another way, he's to bring up his children. The most plainest way I can do it, he's to bring them up by show and tell. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The admonition on one side is the teaching by telling. Hallelujah. But the nurture on the other side is to show them by living. He's to bring them up by showing and telling. It's not just what's fallen off his lips. It's not the letters he writes on a page. It's how he lives his life. It's how he demonstrates an example in his own being for his kid. Amen. He had to go first. 
he could bring them up because he had been there. Someone had said many years ago, said, train up a child in the way he should go. But be sure you go that way yourself too. Again, because you can't bring them if you're not going yourself. Someone say glory. The fathers of Israel were taught in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 6. The commandments, the statutes, the judgments of God. They were advised in verse number 3 of Deuteronomy 6 that they should hear. These fathers were to hear therefore. O Israel, the fathers of Israel, and observe to do it. In other words, hear, hear the judgments, hear the commandments, hear the statutes, hear them, and observe to do. Show and tell. Hear and follow through. Amen. Do what has been conveyed unto you. And the scriptures that are in that, that, that mass of lists are verses like verse number four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy mind, with thy soul, thy strength. All of these type of things uh, that were being relayed to them, the oneness of God, being relayed to them, the love of God. And they had to hear it, and they had to observe it. And verse number six says this, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and these words words which I command thee this day speaking to the nation of Israel the fathers of Israel shall be in thine heart you got that verse 7 and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou settest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. He says, but first, before they're ever taught to your children, he said, they shall be in your heart. What's he saying? Daddy, you're going to go first. You can't bring them along until you go there first. It's going to be in your heart, and then you're going to teach the things from an overflow of your heart, and you're going to do it when they're in the tabernacle, and you're going to do it when you're home. You're going to do it when they're awake, and you're going to do it as they're falling asleep. You're going to do it when you're walking throughout the concourses of your life. How? Because the Father's power in the church is always to go first. So it's Amen. And you'll be able to bring them up. Show and tell. Because you have heard, first heard and first done what the laws and the commandments and the judgments have asked of us by the Lord. In the fifth chapter of the book of Genesis, many people get discouraged right off reading their Bible through in Genesis when they get to chapter number five. <laughs> they skip over it maybe, thinking it's going to take a week Try to pronounce each syllable of some of these names that have ten syllables in them. So they come upon these names. You come upon the names of fathers. And he'll tell you about how that father lived so many years. Then he gave birth to a son. And then he lived so many other years. And he begat. Oh, there it is. And he begat sons and daughters. And then it usually sums it up like this. The totality of his years was X number of years, and he died. And you got that pattern constantly. He's lived so many years. He has a son. He lives so many other years. He has more children. This is the totality of his life. He's dead. Some people's like, that's great. Let's move on to the flood. Amen. Hallelujah. But some of the most prevailing verses in the Bible can be found among those Repetitious patterns. Such like Genesis 5 and verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. who happened to be the oldest man in the Bible, 969 years. And Enoch, watch this now though. And Enoch walked with God. Everybody say the next word with me. After. He begat Methuselah 300 years. And beget sons and daughters. Let me tell you something I don't know, just according to the record of Scripture. I don't know if Enoch walked with God before Methuselah. But I do know he walked with God, according to God's word, after Methuselah. There's something about the birth of that lad being laid in his arms. 
that if he was already walking with God, it didn't stymie his walk with God. If he already had one, or if he didn't walk with God, there was something about that child being born that burdened him with an obligation that I need to go first. Oh, hallelujah. Nonetheless, it is a testimony. He meant that Enoch understood one thing, that I can't bring Methuselah along in a walk with God if I don't have a walk with God. He meant I need to go first. And so when that baby is born, after that Enoch is walking with God, God, amen, and the father's power in the life of Enoch was I'm going to go first and I'm going to bring this boy up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Amen. In Leviticus chapter 16 and verse number 6, the scripture says, and I'll read verse 17 as well, but the scripture says the high priest Aaron and Aaron shall offer his bullock, everybody say his bullock, of the sin offering which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house. Verse number 17. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he, speaking of Aaron, goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement. Watch the pattern here. For himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. These verses in Leviticus underscores the importance of a father to his family. Amen. Aaron not only as high priest to Israel, but was also the priest of his house. And there is a divine order structured here in these verses of scripture that need not be overlooked. Aaron could not make atonement for the congregation of Israel as the high priest until he made an atonement for his family. But primarily, he couldn't even do that until he made an atonement for himself. No, 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 no. Before he offered a bullock of offering for Israel, he had to go in with nobody else by himself and say, I'm offering it for me. Before he could go, amen, for his family, his sons and daughters, and offer up a sacrifice for them, he had to go first and say, no, I got to do it for me because he could not bring his family along or the nation along to a place he had not been himself. It was the power of a father that was at act in these verses. He offered the sacrifice for himself. He made an atonement for himself and then his household because he's bringing them up, right? They're alongside him, amen, figuratively in this act. If not, literally, they are alongside him and he's being mindful of the nation because he went first. Someone say glory. And then, I'm just giving you a little, little history of, of the Old Testament pattern of fathers going first. God comes to Abram. At this period in time, he's already the father of Ishmael. Not the son of promise. The son that was out of a union of Abram with an Egyptian handmaiden called Hagar. Isaac is not yet born, but he's had Ishmael. But God comes alongside Abram and tells him, and prior to this even has promised to him on more than one occasion, that Abram's seed be as the dust of the earth, as the stars of the sky. And God had come to Abram in this moment having a wife that's barren. And at the moment that it seems that God is even speaking to Abram here, still barren, he comes telling Abram, Abram, my covenant, listen to me, my covenant is going to be with you. Uh-huh. And Abram, here are the particulars of this covenant. Genesis 17 and verse 11. Now remember, Take this in, men. 
Abram's 99 years old, I think, at this time. I'd have to go back and look. Somewhere around in his 90s, Abram is. And God's message to him, what the covenant is, is, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. That's exactly what you're thinking it is. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. 90 years old. And the covenant that we're going to have requires your circumcision. So God gives Abraham a message that his ears, to his ears must have sounded like good news and bad news. (laughs) That you're going to have a son, you're still going to have descendants, but this is what's required. 90-something-year-old Abraham, you are going to have to be circumcised for this covenant. Let me say it like this to you, Abraham. You're going to have a child, not with Hagar, but with Sarah. Watch me now. But only after performing minor surgery on that part of your body that's necessary to bring seed to Sarah. Listen to me. Ishmael has already been born. Abraham was not circumcised. When he had relations with Hagar. Hallelujah. But before he had relations again with Sarah, Abraham was circumcised. And Abraham goes first in this covenant with God. And now that he goes first, miraculously, Sarah's womb is open. And she's allowed to have child and carry it in her womb and will give birth to the promised son that God had in mind from the very beginning. Let me back up for a moment and tell you this. There would have never been the promised son until Abraham did away with the flesh that God wanted him to do away He would never have the promised boy until Abraham entered that covenant bishop and done away with the flesh through circumcision that God wanted him to do away with. God saying, you do that first, and then I'll give you the promised seed. And at eight days old, you'll circumcise that boy. You're going to bring him along because you've went first. That is the power of being a father. Somebody hear me. Somebody hear me. We are misdiagnosing our children concerning things that we've not diagnosed in our own life. We're trying to cut flesh out of their lives that we've not yet cut out of our lives. We're trying to get them spiritual levels that we've not yet ascended to ourselves. But the Father's power is to bring them up. The Father's power is by showing and by telling, by demonstrating, by repeating, by exemplifying, by modeling. We must go first. Amen. So the whole premise of the Father's power throughout the Old Testament is based upon him going first and then bringing up his family, his sons, and his daughters alongside him. And yet the Father's power in the New Testament Scripture through the apostle Paul and others, seems to be based upon the same. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. He's denoting a difference then evidently from instructor to father. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. The apostle to the church of Corinth, he said, you you, you may have 10,000 instructors. What are you saying? He said, everybody's going to want to tell you what to do. Everybody's going to want to tell you what to do. Your 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 boss will tell you what to do. Your government will tell you what to do. If you go to school, your teacher's going to tell you what to do. 
There are a lot of different segments in life. They've got rules and regulations. They're going to tell you what to do. You're going to have 10,000 instructors that are going to tell you what to do. He said, but you don't have many fathers. Because what separates a father from an instructor, he won't only tell you what to do, he'll show you how to do it. They're going to be everybody every day long telling you. But what you need is somebody to show you. He said, and there's not many of those. He says, for in Christ Jesus, what's he doing here? He's drawing a parallel. He said, Christ Jesus has been your father. I've begotten you through his gospel, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. Christ is your father. And he's exercising the authentic father's power. And he has went first before you. Watch me here. Paul then writes in the book of Romans, of Romans 6, displaying and illustrating how Christ Jesus, with, through the Father's power, has went first. He says, Know ye not, verse 3 of Romans 6, that so many of us, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. Someone say, with him. We are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, someone say even so we, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified. Everybody say with him with him that the body of sin might not be might be destroyed and that henceforth we should not serve sin you know what the apostle Paul has done there right in chapter number 6 he's talked to us about the death of Christ he's talked to us about the burial of Christ he's talked to us about the resurrection of Christ but in each of those episodes he talks about as us being his children can die with him be buried with him rise in newness of life with him but that's only because he died he died first and my old man can be crucified he brought me up he was buried first but I can be buried with him by baptism he brought me up he was resurrected first but I can walk in newness of life with him because he brought me up the father's power is he went first he didn't ask me to die without him already having died Our musicians can come. I'm coming too close. I got another sermon to preach to these parents. So we're coming along with the Lord. We're being brought up with the Lord because he's gone before us. We're able to go because first he went. His show and tell has turned into our hear and observe. The Apostle Paul says, and you can stand with me today. The Apostle Paul says, fathers. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm honing in on the focus. I'm not church, talking to the generality of the church right here. I'm not talking about husbands and wives in their marriage right now. I'm not talking about parent-child relationship right now necessarily. Let me get close. Fathers! There's an indisputable father's power that you have and obtain by leading, by going first. Be filled, be controlled by the Spirit by all means. But in doing so, bring up your children in the same. Model it. Example it. Live it. Showcase, if you will, it. Don't just tell them. Show them. Because your ultimate power and authority, you've been used to a certain level in your society and culture. But in the church, your power and authority in your family is seen in how you lead them along and how you bring them up alongside you. Again, and I close with these words again, because you cannot bring them to where you are not going yourself. 
We bow our heads all across this place. These altars are open this morning. That's a nice little phrase we throw at the end of a sermon. But I'm telling you, these altars are open this morning. There may be some fathers among us, grandfathers among us, whatever the dynamic may be. But maybe you have started in a road somewhere in the distant past that was a good pattern of show and tell, show and tell, show and tell. But perhaps as things go sometimes, we've fallen into the rut of becoming more of a teller than a shower. My challenge to you today is to bring those kids up. And in that phrase basically means this. Get back to going first. Go to prayer and then tell them and model prayer for them. Go to church and then bring them to church with you. Give and then admonish them in giving and let them, as I've seen oftentimes in this thing with parents and children, grab that little tithing envelope and put it in for you. That's the Father's power. It's not about brute force. It's not about how elevated we can raise our voice. It's about how well we can lead. <laughs> oh, these altars are open. If you want to pray in your pew, raise your hands where you are. That's okay as well, but these altars are open. I want you to know today that this pastor this week has been very purposeful and intentional in prayer concerning every individual in this church. I have prayed for some very specific prayers for lives and families and individuals in this church this week. I have spent much time talking to God about you. And so I know that in this moment, God is doing works. Whether anybody wished to admit to it or not, or would want to showcase it or not, God is doing a work right now this morning because we've already had a conversation about this day before it ever got here. And I'm praying right now that you would give over to the leading of the Spirit of the Lord that He has filled you with and be responsive to what you feel and what you're experiencing in this moment and allow God to lead you as a father and then you lead your family as he leads you. In the name of Jesus, God, we love you. Brother and Sister Mason, right now, let's go to song. These altars are open. Come on, men. Come on, men. The greatest way we can showcase the Father's power is how we lead our families. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.